We'll have some more baptisms. And uh, so we'll kind of move around and just, just let it happen as it happens. I was amazed. I'm always amazed. I was just kind of looking around this morning as I was saying hello to people. I've been at this church for three and a half years. It always surprises me. There's so many people that I don't really know here, you know, and yet we're family. And it's a big church, so there's a lot of people. Um, but Joe and I were praying just a little while ago, and we were praying knowing that God knows everybody's story this morning. You know, I don't know everybody's story this morning as we've all pulled in, ridden in, walked in, you know, but we've all got life going on. And we've come here because we believe in Christ and we want to connect with him and uh, we want to draw closer to him. And so we were just praying that God would be at work in all of our hearts, certainly in a special way for those who are being baptized today. Uh, but God has a way of really stirring all of us when we see baptism. Uh, so, so we're going to be excited to see how that goes. Um, I also want to let you know, if you've never been water baptized, you're a believer in Jesus, and at some point during the service, you just think, man, I want to be baptized today, we can facilitate that and do that, so um, just, just to put that seat out there for you. We're not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> come just as you are. That's right. Come, come as you are. Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about baptism, and we're going to talk about committing our life to Christ. That's kind of our topic today, and uh, the way I'll get started is... By telling you something that happened with me a couple of years ago. Um, I have four kids, and uh, we moved here three years ago. Before that, I helped to plant a church in Orlando, Florida. And while we were planting that church, my life was really busy. You know, we're planting a church, a lot of details. I had four young kids at the time, really young. And, um, and so my life was out of control. <laughs> you know, I was unorganized. I couldn't remember anything. I'm meeting people, you know, at our new church. I couldn't remember names week to week, and I just... I thought, man, I've got to get organized. So I started listening to these tapes uh, called Mega Memory. And they used to be sold late at night in America. And whoever did it, they made millions of dollars. And it helps you remember people's names and remember dates and events. And so I was listening to those tapes. And then a friend of mine gave me a book. And it was called, I'm going to read the name of it. It was called Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. And I thought, that sounds really good, stress-free productivity. So a Saturday morning... I told my wife, hey, I know, you know, you got the kids and all this, and, but can I just take the morning and go off somewhere and just read this book? I've got to do a better job of remembering things and all that. And she said, hey, go ahead. So I went to this place called Panera, which is like a sandwich shop, get some tea. And so I went, and my, my wife just said, hey, when you, when you come back, just bring me a bagel. You know, she loves this Asiago bagel with raspberry cream cheese, right? Some of you guys already see this coming. So I spend two hours, right, working on tricks for remembering things and all that stuff. And um, did I, I got the wrong? Oh, I went by myself. Yeah, I went by myself. Right. She's making sure I get the story right. And I came home and I forgot my wife's bagel. Right. But I had so forgotten it that I, I mean, I really it was so far out of my mind that I walked in the house and I put my stuff down and she was looking at me kind of funny. Right. And I, she just looking at me. I thought, well, something's wrong with her. I don't know what's wrong with her. You know, I go back. I come back in, and she's going through my stuff. I had, like, my bag, and she's looking through my... I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, did you bring the bagel? And I really, I had no memory of our conversation. I said, what bagel? <laughs> right? And she said, I told you that I wanted this certain bagel with cream cheese, and I had so forgotten it that I really didn't think she did. And I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then she said, we were standing right here. You were in the hallway. You had your keys in the hand. You were getting ready to go out. And as she was saying that, I remembered... But I tried to keep arguing as if she hadn't said it, <laughs> right? Have, now, guys, some of you have you ever done that. Have you ever had an argument with your wife or your spouse and you argue past the point where you knew you're wrong? 
yeah. I've learned a lot since then. That was a few years ago. But the, the point of the story is, you know, we are forgetful people. We forget. I may not forget if someone owes me something, but if I owe something to someone else, that will, I will forget that. And you know what God knows? God knows there are certain truths that he wants so deeply to embed into our life that he doesn't want us to forget. So what is baptism? A part of what baptism is, is an anchoring of the most significant spiritual truth of our life in a significant moment, a ceremony that's unforgettable. So that we can always point back to that time where we were baptized. The Old Testament is filled with kind of rituals and physical things that people had to do as they were in their relationship with God. The New Testament is, has almost none of that. It's got a few. It's got communion. It's got the Lord's Supper. Why do we take communion? We take communion to remember Jesus' sacrifice. And Jesus said, what I've done is so significant that I want you to take this communion and every time you take it, remember what I did. Because he knows we'll forget. Right? We give, at church, we give tithes and we give offerings. God has us do that not because he needs our money, but he does it because he wants us to remember that he's the source of our provision and that we're stewards of his stuff, right? And then God gives us baptism because he wants us to remember that we've been washed and we've been cleansed. I got married 15 years ago and I wear my wedding ring. And when I look at this ring, it's a reminder to me. It's a reminder to you if you're married. It's a reminder to me that there is a person on this planet that has completely committed her life to me. And she loves me. And that's an encouragement every day when I see that on my finger. Then it's also a reminder to me that I've made a very serious commitment. I have stood before God and made a commitment to my wife. And that, this reminds me every day. And water baptism reminds us of several things. And Joe, I'm going to let you tell us what it reminds us of. So as Ralph said, baptism is a reminder. And I've had the pleasure and the privilege to be able to talk to some of the students about this this week. What exactly is baptism? What is it reminding us of? And very literally, baptism reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's so awesome how God takes so many things from the, the spiritual realm and he makes them play out in the physical realm. So things that happen in the spiritual realm, often we have to go through something in the physical realm to make it stick, to make it so that we remember it. Like, for instance, with salvation, it talks about how we believe in our hearts, but we also confess with our mouths. So our faith is working together with our action, and it comes together to cement that decision within our hearts. And so with baptism, what happens is we are talking about, first of all, the death, the death of Christ. When we go down into the water, that is a, sim a direct symbol of us being buried with Christ. Why? Because we are dead to sin. Amen. This is an exciting thing. At this point, we are dead to sin. Um, it's a stark reminder that we're dead to sin. Sin no longer has any power over us. It is no longer our master. As we've lived that way for most of our lives before that time, sin is no longer our master. The chains of sin have been broken and we are released. That is an exciting thing. Amen. It's something to say amen about. Baptism is an exciting thing. I, I, I'm, I might get riled up. 
You can get riled up. Calm me down. Calm me down. (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. But the other part is just that we can live victoriously over sin. We don't have to keep struggling with these things because we have a new master. We have a new Lord, a new Savior who has released us to be free. Jesus Christ said, the ones who I set free, I set free indeed. Amen. And so the next part, we're going to take you down. That's what we're going to do with you guys today. Take you down. We're going to bury you. But the next part is the most exciting part. Because Jesus not only died, but he rose from that grave. And that is an incredibly exciting part. He rose from the grave. Amen. Does anyone agree with me? Amen. And so, as we bring you back out of that water today, that is a symbol of saying, yes, I've died to sin, but now I am alive to Christ. I am, when Jesus died and he came back to life, he didn't die again. Right now, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. He will never die again. And so as we come up out of the water, we, we, die, we, we have died to sin, but we are now alive to Christ. And we don't have to worry about that physical death that's going to happen again. We don't have to worry about that because Christ has said, I have given you a hope and a future. And that hope is this. One day, we will have unbroken, unfettered communion with the Father. I'm talking like we can talk to him, we can walk with him, we can be with him, and that is an exciting thing. Communion with the Father, and that is what that represents when we come out of the water. Is I'll raise up to new life. I can live victoriously over sin. And it's a stark reminder that when we face temptation, when things come our way, no, you are no longer my master. I have a new master. I have a new Lord. I have a new Savior. And I can walk in victory. And so I'm excited. I don't know about you. I'm excited. We have a lot of teens who are getting baptized today. I'm excited about these guys being baptized. Joe, are you excited? Are you excited? I'm excited. Okay. A little. A little. I'm not so excited about the cold water. Not so excited about the cold water, but excited about what it represents. <laughs> and so uh, the last thing I can just say is this. Um, Acts 22, 16. This is what Paul, when, uh, when Ananias came to Paul, he said this to him. He's like, Paul, you receive your sight. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. That's what I'm saying to you guys today. What are you waiting for? Let's get up, get these guys baptized. Let's celebrate together. Uh, We're going to go ahead. um, I'm going to ask, like, the first people to come up. And we're just going to have, like, this family atmosphere where we get together, get these guys baptized, and we're going to celebrate with them and with their families. Is that okay with you guys? I like the the view from up here, too. I kind of peek back and I look at all of you and just seeing the joy and the the participation uh, for all of us who knows what that means. So... Way to go. Very, very excited. So Joe's going to dry off, and he's going to come up and have a few more things to share. But we're going to talk a little bit more, and then we'll do a few more baptisms here. Um, What water baptism symbolizes is important. And God plays a role in what takes place, and then you and I also play a role. What's being symbolized here. What God has done that's being symbolized through water baptism is the reality that we have been cleansed. Right? That, that we have been cleansed from our sin. The other thing it symbolizes is the burial 
and the resurrection. He gives us new life. We can't do that, but he does it for us, right? All right, thank you guys. Thank you. So in baptism, the Lord does his part, and then we do our part. It's a, it's a public commitment. Um, and so as we were shaping up these baptisms, um, mostly uh, kind of the student groups were doing it. So as Joe and I were thinking through the message here, um, kind of directing the comments towards people who are just being baptized, maybe even young people who are committing to Christ with so much of your life in front of you. But of course, all of us have shared that equal commitment. So the message is to all of us. Um, but made us turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends uh, were young men in Israel. And they lived at a time where their country was attacked and overpowered by a stronger nation, the Babylonians. And Daniel and several of his friends went into captivity, uh, went about 500 miles away into captivity where they lived in a foreign culture. And um, their homeland was, over a series of several years and attacks, really decimated. Um, it was a very difficult time. It was a time where you wouldn't necessarily have a lot of hope for a brighter future and a time of uncertainty, a time of questioning, God, where are you in our story? Some of us live in parts of our life and we feel that way. God, where are you in my story? I feel like my city's been attacked and you're not defending me. Um, and that's where Daniel is when we find him and his friends. So we're going to look at a few verses and see what we have to pull out there. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes and he attacks. And in verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, The Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. When Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took with him some of the sacred objects from the temple of God and placed them in the treasure house of his God in the land of Babylonia. Now, one of the first things to really, really be aware of, and all through this book of Daniel and certainly the whole Bible, God is sovereign. And I just think it's significant the way this is recorded. It says, the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar victory. Nebuchadnezzar had no strength as a leader on his own, but God in his sovereignty allowed in that season for him to rise up and overcome Israel. So God is sovereign in all of our stories, even in the times when we don't understand what's going on. Uh, but then, then the second part of this beginning is Nebuchadnezzar, when he came, he went into the temple, the beautiful temple where all the sacred articles of God were stored and used for worship. And he went in there, and the Scripture tells us that he took some of those sacred objects, and he brought them back to Babylon, and he put them in the house of his God, small g God. Um, and, you know, it's no different than us today in some ways. You know, I remember being in elementary school, and my elementary school was bigger and better than the other elementary school. Then we got to junior high, and ours was better than the others. Then you go to college, my college is better than your college. My dad is stronger than your dad, you know, that kind of thing. And here, what's going on is Nebuchadnezzar saying, my God is stronger than your God. And he took the elements of, from God, from Israel, and he brought them like little trophies. He brought them like little trophies and put them on his trophy case in front of his God. And I just want to challenge you young folks, but really it's no different than for any of us. You know what the enemy of your life would like to do? He would like to take you and make you one of his trophies. He would like to come and invade your life in a way with temptation, in a way that you crumble and you fall and you make bad decisions, and God still loves you and God's still committed to you and all that, but he's able to take your story and make it a trophy for himself. And I want to challenge you young people especially to know that throughout your life you will face challenges and decisions and temptations. And you're going to have to do what Daniel and his friends did. 
as you grow and you mature in your faith in Christ. And we'll keep playing that out. So this happens at the beginning. Daniel chapter 1, uh, verse 3, the story continues. Uh, then the king ordered Aspenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good sense, and have the poise needed to serve in the royal palace. Teach these young men the language and literature of the Babylonians. So the king assigned them a daily ration of the best food and wine from his own kitchen, from the king's kitchen. And they were to be trained for a period of three years and then go into service to the king. Um, so, so much to point out here. Too, too much really to make a big deal out of. But something for all of us to realize is that the way that the world sees you is not that the way God sees you and the way that he sees me. The king typifies the attitude of the world. Take only the tallest, the strongest, the best looking, the most intelligent. Those are the ones I want for my service. And we know, if you've read the scripture, God's totally different. God's interested in our heart. God says, you want to have a victorious, successful life? Don't let the ways of the world confuse you. Don't think you have to chase after the success that the world is talking about. Guard your heart. 2 Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole or earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. For, for those of you who will be heading off to college, you're in middle school, high school, for us who are in companies at work, it's no different for us really. You're going to have social systems that pressure you and challenge you to look a certain way. And if you can own this I thing or that I thing, you're going to be more popular, more successful, more well-liked, right? And it is a trap, and it is a, you're stuck in a cage, and we all run faster and faster trying to please the world system. And God says, you don't have to do that. You walk with me in humility. You guard your heart. You pay attention to the issues of your heart, and you will live a life of success and significance that I designed you for. Don't let the world and the world's system run you down. You pursue God. And see what he does for you. It's very interesting in this story. So these three guys, understand, they're young men. Their city's been attacked. Their life has been spared. They've been taken captives. What is being a captive in another land going to mean to these guys? Am I going to be digging holes in the ground? What am I going to be doing with my life? But these guys are brought before the king. And the king says, I'm going to give you the best education in the land. I'm going to send you to Harvard and Princeton. And I'm going to pay for your college education. Parents, would you, what do you think? Someone pay for your kid's education? Would you like that? Sounds like a good thing that's going on here. Then he says, you know what? You guys are getting daily rations of the best food from the king's table. And that would be like an answer to prayer to me, right? I mean, here I've been captured, but now I'm going to get educated. I'm going to get fed. And sometimes temptation comes looking pretty good, right? Because Daniel and his friends understood the law that God had given to them as, as, as Jewish people, as Israelites. And they were not allowed to eat certain kinds of food. And of course, the king's food was filled with that stuff. And so Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not sin against his God. And he said, we won't eat that food. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine the strength of character that took to stand before the king who was going to do so much good for you and say, that goes against my commitment to my God. And I won't do it. Guys, when we do water baptism, whether you did it 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago, that's the kind of commitment we are saying to God. I'm making 
I'm making that kind of a commitment to you. It's a big deal, and God will strengthen us to walk it out and do it. Really amazing. So, of, of everything I'm saying here, if you don't remember anything I say, I'm going to read this sentence because I liked it when I wrote it down. Now, it probably won't seem so neat, but I liked it a couple nights ago when I wrote it out. Here's the key to Daniel's life and the young men that were with him. They had decided ahead of time, before any temptation was upon them, how they would act. And see, as we mature in our relationship with Christ, we have to know ahead of time, no matter what it is, I'll honor God. Even if it makes no sense. This made no sense to Daniel. How could this make sense? This looked like an amazing opportunity for him. He said, I won't do it. But he handled it with tact. I mean, if we had a month, we would really study the whole thing. Last thing I'll say, and then Joe's going to share, and then we'll do some more baptisms. Um, then we'll do some more baptisms. Yep. 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 Um, <clears throat> toward the end of the first chapter, so Daniel's got a dilemma. He doesn't want to get killed. He doesn't want to... You know, so he's got a lot of tact, he's got a lot of wisdom, and so he goes to the attendant who's overseeing him, and it says, Daniel talked it over with the attendant, um, and he said this, he said, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, and at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's rich food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue our diet, and the only point I want to make in reading that is, Daniel had great faith that no matter what the circumstance looked like, God's way was the best way. You see what he did? He said, listen, I'm so convinced that what God has said is good for my life is good for my life that I'll do it and you just look. And if I look worse than these other people and if I'm not as healthy, then my God's a liar and then I'll change and do your thing. But he knew that wouldn't be the case. He said, I'll follow my God and it'll turn out well for me. And of course, he and his friends looked better because they followed God's way and the rest of the time he was able to eat the food that honored God and he continued to rise on the path that God had for him. So commitment ahead of time to honor God in all of our decisions is one of the keys as we mature and we walk with Christ. It's one of the things that we're doing when we get water baptized. The next part is just a little challenge, I think, for youth. Well, for some of everybody. But um, I think that th these guys that he's talking about, Daniel and the three Hebrew children, I mean, their lives, they, they exemplified, uh, they exemplified their commitment. They exemplified that they would follow God no matter what. And um, as you all, most of you may know the story, if you keep going into chapter three, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he goes and he builds a statue. It's about nine feet wide, about 90 feet high. And it says that he had uh, these people play all kinds of instruments and all kinds of music at the same time. And whenever, and whenever anybody heard all the music start to go, the law was you needed to bow down before this statue. You had to bow down. And anyone who would not bow down, whenever you heard the music playing, it said you will be thrown into a fiery furnace. And as the story goes, uh, Daniel, well, actually the, he, the three Hebrew children, uh, it was found out that they weren't bowing down when people were playing all this music and stuff. And so the, the, the king's men came back and told him, and he brought him before him, and he was like, hey, I've heard this rumor. You've not been bowing down when you hear all the music and all this other good stuff. Now tell me if this is true. And I love their response to him. If you put it up on the screen, this is their response. I think this is so cool. Uh, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're not going to try to go through their names, replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. 
But even if he does not, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. You know what? That is such an incredible statement. I thought, why would in the world would he play all this music? I think that this is the same thing that enemy is doing today. And it's not just with youth, with all of us. What he wants to do is he wants to give distraction. Give distraction, get our attention off of whatever it's on, where we're focused, to get it on to the idols that he set up. And for you, this is especially for you. He wants to get your attention off of God and onto the idols that he set up in the world. But I believe that God is looking for a generation who will stand up and say what the children said. You know what? We don't even need to defend ourselves. We don't need to explain or make excuses for who we are. This is who we are. We are children of the Most High King. We don't need to explain that to you. But let me tell you this. Even if you put me through temptation, even if you bring all kinds of opposition, even if you come against me, I still will not bow down to the gods that you have set up. That is the kind of generation the Lord is looking for. This is the kind of steely commitment that I believe God is looking for. And we can only do that through his grace, through his strength, and through his power. But I want to talk a little bit, and this is more for parents. So you, you can listen, but this is more for parents. If you go to Exodus, I want to read this real quick. Exodus chapter 2, if you put this up on the screen. It says this, about uh, this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. She knew that. She saw that he was a special baby, and she kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, put the baby in the basket, laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what's going to happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and as we all know, she saw the baby. Uh, she sent her maid to get it. Keep going. When the princess opened and she saw the baby, the little boy was crying. She's like, this must be one of the little Hebrew children. Keep going. Uh, the baby's sister came out of the breeze and said, look, should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the, the baby for you? And she's like, yeah, go and get him. So she went, the little girl went and got the mom, got the mom. And so the mom actually got paid to nurse her own child, okay? And so it says, take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, and I will pay for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. And this is the part that puzzles me. I wonder, what was Moses' mom going through at that time? She had taken her son. God had rescued her son from the Nile. She now was given the privilege to raise her son, but she knew that the time would come where she would have to hand her son back over to her enemy. How do you think she was preparing her son? What was she doing to prepare her son for this event? I can only imagine that she was trying to put every ounce of truth into him, have him remember everything that God said, the words of the Lord, because she knew at some point he would go back into the enemy, enemy's hands. And this is the point that I'm trying to make to you, parents and youth. At some point, parents, you are going to have to give your kids up to the world to make it on their own. And they will absolutely be in the realm of the enemy. Let me tell you, the Bible does not say without purpose that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
He's not coming to just play with your kids. He's not coming just to pat them on the head. He is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And the greatest, the greatest gift that we can give to them is to impart unto them the holy word of God. It's to impart unto them salvation. It's to teach them the ways of God. The greatest gift that we can give them. Yes, education is important, but it will never be as important as their salvation. I said it. It will never be as important as their salvation. And if we realize, I don't know if you ever watched National Geographic, but I've watched it. When the lions go after the, the animals, when they go after the, the buffalo and the elephants, they never go after the adults. Which ones do they go after first? The young ones, the children, because they're easy prey. They're easy to pick off. The greatest gift that you can give to your children is to raise them up in the ways, in the fear and the knowledge of God. The greatest gift that you can give to them is to raise them up in the fear and the knowledge of God. And that is what this is all about. This is all about the commitment. These kids are being raised up to remember so they can look back in the future and say, hey, 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 I made a commitment to the Lord. I remember the commitment I made. And I think it's funny that Moses' name means to be lifted from the water. And I can imagine that as he was walking through Egypt, he, 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 he would say, hey, wait, 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 wait. I remember my mom told me about being lifted from the water, about being rescued, about being given new life, a new chance at life. And he said, I will walk in the ways of my father. I will walk in the ways of my ancestors, the ways of the Lord, my God. And that is what God is calling us to do, to remember the commitment that we made when we're being raised up from this water to say, I will walk in the ways of the Lord. Amen. There's no greater thing. Amen. I, 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 I'm going to stop, stop preaching today. <laughs> I'm going to stop preaching. My next challenge is just what we said before, what Adonijah said Paul, what are we waiting for? I've been, like I said, I've been married for 15 years. Every time my wife and I go to a friend's wedding, and we've been to more weddings now than I can count, um, I celebrate with the people who are getting married, and I always think back to my wedding day. And my mind goes in different places, but I always think of what a great decision it was that I've never regretted that moment to get married to my wife. When I see another person's baptism, same as you, I'm sure, so many of you are sitting there, so excited for them, remembering your baptism, right? This doesn't get old to see this. This is the, the, the heart of why we exist as a ministry, right? It's amazing. Now, my, my, my Chinese language, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at it, so please forgive me. I'm going to try to say something in Chinese here, and I'm going to really botch it up. So, Joanne, I'm sorry, okay? But I'm going to try. Thank you. She's not going to correct me. Uh, uh, a little while ago, a friend of mine was baptized, and the next day I heard him telling somebody in Chinese about it. He speaks Chinese, and he says, Shoshi. And I know the word Shoshi as like to take a rest, to have rest, right? And so I thought he was talking about his baptism, and I heard this word Shoshi, right? And I said, what do you mean you're getting a rest? He said, no, no, I'm talking about the baptism thing. I said, well, why'd you say Shoshi? And he said, well, that's baptism. So of course, it's pronounced a little different. I know the characters are different, right? Different characters, right? But to my ear, at least, when you say rest and when you say baptism, it's the same thing. Shoshi, shoshi, it's the same thing. Now, I, don't think, I don't think there's a hidden message from God there, but I think it's neat. I think it's neat. Because to enter into this union with Christ is to enter into an eternal 
and, a, and, a, and an abiding rest for our souls. So we're just going to have another worship song here. And we're actually going to dismiss differently today. See, I told you. We're going to dismiss differently today. We're going to worship and celebrate. Some folks are going to want to stay and worship, and we'll do that. If it's time to go, it's okay for you to feel free to leave. If you're feeling like you want to be baptized and you have not been baptized before, Joe's going to be over here, and uh, no, no pressure, nothing like that. But if you're just saying, I don't want to walk out without being baptized, that's available, okay? So we're going to thank God for this day. We're going to, we're going to go forth in his name, and we're going to worship, and you just feel free. Uh, to, to head on out when you need to. If we're still here in an hour and a half, I'll tell you you have to go, okay? But well, we're going to worship a bit. So, okay, Ricky, thanks.